0: so uh no more about gel code. when the force fourth... don't you call in them more importantly just hear those sleigh bells jingling ring ting tingling too
1: what why are you looking confused well that song wasn't anywhere near this this what's that i no. thought we'd started off with we'll have the world's finest christmas tonight. what is that
0: oh fuck i don't know <laughs> i thought you might just join in and sing a christmas cow oh something. oh i can i
1: can okay yeah
0: come back come back and sing sing one of your favorites and we'll kind of do a little back and forth all
1: right
0: now oh
1: what did, which one did you sing <laughs> Slay <Sleigh> ride <laughs> Oh, fuck. That's my favorite. Then you do it. Then you um, do it. We'll start no, with you. No, no. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let the Yule tie. Oh, fuck. Why don't I know the words to these songs? Ah.
0: Want to just start? Just start, start.
1: Jesus, I don't. <laughs> Everybody's waiting for the man with the bag. Right, how about
0: that one? Well, it is the Christmas season. We love Christmas and Christmas carols and Christmas specials. TV Talkaholics returns to you once again, folks, December 2022, to ring in the holiday season and this beautiful month of Yuletide cheer. Hello, Matthew.
1: Hello, David. I would love to find you. Under my Christmas tree this holiday season, stuffing my stockings, so to speak. (laughs) Mm. I wanted to do something that I loved. So thank you for letting us do this one. Because like we talked about before, the talkaholics became us like being like, oh, this turd. And I'm so glad you wanted to do this one because I love it.
0: I enjoy this immensely. And okay. I am thrilled that you suggested it. I thought it was a great idea to do a, a Christmas thing on at Christmas time. And I'll admit, Matthew, I don't know that I've seen this in my adult life. I don't Uh-oh. think I've seen it since I was a kid when it was in reruns in rotation in the 70s.
1: I love finding out what people's holiday um traditions are as far as these kind of specials yeah i love like i am a every year at least once mr magoo's christmas carol every year at least once emmet otter's jug band christmas i'm surprised how many people don't know emmet otter's jug band christmas Mm -hmm. um but i made a reference to it at work the other day and nobody knew what i was talking about (laughs) and i almost i almost quit know um, you'd be like, uh, we're at Disney, people, and we own the Muppets. How dare yeah. you? But Year Without a Santa Claus is a favorite of mine. Oh, the
0: Rankin-Basses, man. That was the tradition growing up that just I see those little wooden carved statues, the, the, the Heat Miser and the Cold Miser, and Ugh. that shit, I am transported. I am eight years old again. They make me so happy. Yes. Hmm. i also gotta watch uh gotta watch your charlie brown and uh let me see and the peewee the peewee's playhouse christmas special is a fairly recent tradition in our household but i yeah. i really love that i hadn't seen it till recently either it's it's batshit it's in the best possible way
1: I think it's up there with um, the Paul End Halloween special, but I think Pee Wee was in on the joke. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And
0: the Paul End—that that is a tradition every Halloween. If we watch nothing else in this house, Paul End is on the TV. And here's a weird thing. Uh, When we put up our tree, and admittedly, we did it right after Halloween because Justin, my roommate, insisted on having it done because he was leaving to go back on his cruise ship. Uh, on Thanksgiving. So he wanted his Christmas in the month of November. He said that we needed to watch a, a horror movie called Black Christmas. Have you heard of this? Why would anyone want to watch a horror movie about Christmas? Uh, I I don't know either. And yet there it is. It's one of the typical low budget 1970s slasher movies and it's early, early in the 70s and it includes a very young and very unknown Andrea Martin is in it. Oh, mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> from SCTV.
0: Yeah, future SCTV member. But but we're not talking about Halloween or horror movies or SCTV. We here at TV Talkaholics are thrilled to bring you our beloved Tutti Fruities. Our Analysis of Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol.
1: Yay!
0: Originally broadcast on December the 18th of 1962, and it is on Daily Motion, and Daily Motion. It is a clean, beautiful transfer. Like yeah. it doesn't look like the the 16 millimeter film that had been sitting in the storage closet at, at your school for 40 years. Like, also available on Peacock. Is it on the Peacock as well? Hmm. Okay. Well, if you pay for Peacock, you can watch it there. And uh, like I said, for free, only if it's available somewhere for free, am I inclined to want to do it here. So when you suggested it, I was so happy to be able to jump on board because it's a great idea.
1: And the Daily Motion and the Peacock version are the unedited version, David. Yes. Well, talk about that, Matthew. Well, the special was 52 minutes long, David, when it aired on TV. Mm-hmm. So to get it down to in syndication, I guess, or the reruns, to get it down, um to where it could be an hour long with commercials, they cut out the fact that it's a play within a play. Mm-hmm. Did they even and- show those audience shots with the curtains opening? I don't believe they did. Wow. Um but they also cut out the big song in it um winter is warm as well which nobody was gonna miss anyway but (laughs) yeah Uh, and and the opening song therefore was also extracted also cut which is a shame because that's a great song but um yeah they cut out that which i thought was interesting because they use that melody through the entire show and then to not have that song in it would probably seem weird to anybody who gave a shit But throughout the whole thing. All you hear is da, 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 da. So, um, but that's the only melody of that song that is memorable. So. <laughs> Jesus.
0: Well, I really, really enjoyed it. I'm not sure I can say this is one of my favorite adaptations of A Christmas Carol, but it is really, really delightful. And the thing you talk about, if they cut that opening song, the opening song is literally the thing that allows him to be... Mr. Magoo the bumbling nearsighted clueless old dude and then suddenly he gets on stage and he has all of his facilities about him he's not walking into the furniture he can remember the lyrics to his songs uh (laughs) I mean I I can't say that I'm capable of doing that right now at the right young age of 54 am I 54 yeah and uh so <laughs> it's just i i was watching it going why are they huh what and then i realized oh if they're just going to do the christmas carol and not try to stick in clumsy mr mr maguitudes into it mr Magooisms. Mm. so we have so much to talk about with this so many things so many uh, whatever. So let me because you're excited about this and we're both so happy let, let's you kick off pick a subject matter and let's talk about it
1: well, we've got to talk about the fact that this was the first televised animated version of A Christmas Carol. Was it? It was. I didn't see that. <laughs> I, I, My research was limited. So this um, was a lot of people's, a lot of kids' first introduction to A Christmas Carol, I think, oh. in 1962. Julie Stein and Bob Merrill did the music, David. Yes, and they are best known for? Funny Girl, Funny Girl. They were writing Funny Girl at the time. And there's a story that goes that one of the people involved with this heard them working on People. And they thought, oh, that's going to be wonderful. And they thought that that was going to be the song that was going to be the big hit from this show but they said no this isn't for this this is for funny girl which is interesting because a lot of people think funny girl was written for barbara streisand when really it was not um but no anyway um so you've got these wonderful songs like having those two write us write a show at that time in 62 was like the equivalent of like you know harry styles and lizzo coming together to write a song <laughs> Bob Merrill and Julie Stein are oft referred to as the Harry Styles and Lizzo of the 60s, I think. Those were the artists that
0: immediately came to my mind as the modern analogs. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> now, had Stein and Merrill worked together before this? Because when I was looking up their career, I don't see where they collaborate
1: prior to this. Was this their first outing? I think it was um, Julie Stein had just written Gypsy, um, Mm -hmm. the music for Gypsy. So, yeah, I think this was the first time that those two bumped pianos, so to speak. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because Bob Merrill, prior to this, was both
0: a musician and a lyricist. He did both. So he had shows like New Girl in Town, Carnival. Uh, Later in the decade, he would write music and lyrics for uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's, the musical. I think they- I think it was called Holly Golightly, and it was that that brief period between the Dick Van Dyke show and the Mary Tyler Moore show, where Mary Tyler Moore was really trying to find what the fuck her career was now, and one of them was, well, she sings and dances, maybe she's a Broadway person, and uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's unequivocally proved
1: she was not. Yeah. And and I, I I I don't blame Mary as much as I blame that was the show was just awful. No,
0: and here's the deal: they would go on to write other shows like Pretty Belle in
1: 1971. Oh, and, <laughs> oh wah, wah. yeah, and Sugar in
0: 1972. Mm. How good is Sugar? Sugar is such a good musicalization of "Some Like It Hot." that there is currently right now a revival on Broadway of a different adaptation with Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman having written the score because they didn't want to revive
1: this. I don't even think you can call it a revival. It's a whole new
0: show. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what I mean. But somebody somewhere said, let's put that story back on the Broadway stage. Oh, you mean sugar? Mm -hmm. Let's let's get Mark on the phone.
1: And while it may not have great songs in it, the big problem with Sugar is who the hell? Why wouldn't you just call it something like it hot? Exactly. What's That's, the song? What's the um, Here's Love is the musical version of Miracle on 34th Street.
0: Yeah. Why would you
1: call it Here's Love?
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and I believe that Breakfast at Tiffany's was originally called Holly Go Lightly.
1: Yeah, and, it opened as Breakfast at Tiffany's, so I think that was one of the things that they learned on the road, when <laughs> to call it
0: Breakfast at Call Tiffany's. it the fucking name of the thing that it is. Yeah.
1: Yeah, just like, you know, Bernstein's
0: Wonderful Town. You're like, my sister Eileen was a fairly famous play and film and a vehicle for Rosalind Russell, and here she is doing the musical version. Why would you not call it My Sister Eileen, the yeah. musical? But... um. But Julie Stein was only a composer. He was never a lyricist that I can find. He only worked as uh, as a music writer. And he did some scores for movies like Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. Yes. And stage shows like Bells Are Ringing. Yes. And I didn't realize he did Fade Out, Fade In. Mm-hmm. Which our close personal friend Diana Eden was in the opening Broadway cast for. Mm-hmm. We got to ask her some Julie Stein stories. Make a note, Matthew. St- Stacy. Stacy, make a note. Um here's the deal. Okay. Gypsy is really regarded as arguably the greatest musical of all time ever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's no argument, but go ahead. Yeah. And if you look at Julie Stein's other work, you're like, "Okay, wow." definitely steven sondheim's influence as the lyricist does come through because julie stein never ever had anything that was considered that big a hit or that now today has a lasting legacy other than mr magoo's christmas carol of course
1: obviously yeah so he can can write a hook though Oh damn. Man, he can ride a hook. Because I mean, so many of the songs in this just have such great melodies. And mm, I enjoy anyway. Yeah.
0: I'm I I I thought the songs in this were fine. I didn't love them. I wasn't walking away singing them. Upon second listen, I was like, okay, okay, I'm I, I see you. I see you, Julie and
1: um uh, and Lizzo. Julie and
0: Lizzo, <laughs> exactly. I was gonna say Julie and Bob. Um so, uh, yeah, so they wrote the songs. That was an interesting choice to make it a musical. But I suppose for kids, if if the intent was to make something that the kids would watch, because God forbid adults watch animation.
1: Especially since you're writing a musical. Who's your star, Jim Backus? Oof. <laughs> All I kept thinking was as I was listening to it and watching it, that poor music producer <laughs> had to sit there because that opening song is so great i'm back it's good to be back 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 on Broadway. and i was <laughs> just like oh my he's literally sh- just shouting yeah and i was still here for it but i'm just like oh that poor music producer and knowing jim as i did he was probably very self-conscious about that you wait a minute you knew jim backus matthew Jim was one of those people that had no idea how funny he was in just the way he would say something, you know, really? Oh yeah. Like he would walk off a set and say, was I funny? <laughs> like <laughs> he he had no idea. Just the, his pattern of speech, the way he would say something, I'm chagrined. Would, he, he, he would just have no <laughs> idea how funny he was, but um, yeah, he was lovely.
0: Mhm. Another fun little Jim Backus anecdote is uh, a lot of people don't remember that he played the part of James Dean's father in Rebel Without a Cause. And this is this is probably apocryphal. This I don't know if this is a true story or not, but according to sources, the scene where James Dean is leaving the house and under his breath is mimicking his dad something that he said. James Dean basically is doing a Mr. Magoo impression. He's just like, wow, I think this kid is really terrible. Uh, uh, uh. He does a voice like that. Apparently, the next day, studio executives from Warner Brothers showed up on the set. And they were like, uh, yes, we we heard, we understand that James is going to be doing a, a Mr. Magoo impression in the film. Uh, yeah, we were wondering, is there a way that you could change that to Bugs Bunny? corporate america hollywood
1: at its finest i thought you were gonna say they showed up and said if you mock jim backus you are out of this fucking picture
0: (laughs) (laughs) we will cut your fucking break lines we will uh, oh oh
1: too soon too Too soon soon. sorry that was a jimmy dean joke
0: (laughs) um So before we leave talking about the score, has that song, that opening number, ever been featured on the Tony Awards? That would be a great curtain-raiser production number for the Tonys. Have you ever
1: seen it? No. Let's find somebody who can't sing and stand (laughs) on the stage. Let's get Lauren Bacall out there (laughs) to kick off the Tony Awards. with It's good to be back, back. We could get it.
0: Liza could probably do it. Liza could ah,
1: at this point. Uh, <laughs> it's got to be back, back, back on Broadway. Yeah. Yeah. they need to do a new animated version with Liza Minnelli as Mr. Magoo in Christmas Carol. As oh a- my <laughs> God! Jingle, jingle, The jingle. It's such a lovely sound. <laughs>
0: So let's talk some nuts and bolts before we actually get into the show. We've already talked about Julie Stein and Bob Merrill. Uh, Well, this is, of course, based on A Christmas Carol, the original Charles Dickens classic, originally published in 1853. And uh, I believe it has spawned a a couple of adaptations since that time. One or or two thousand.
1: I just can't with A Christmas Carol. It's every theater does it every year. And I want to know it's like, it's a dirge because we all know how it ends. There's not one person that doesn't know what's going to happen in the next scene. And it's just like, you're just like, get through this show. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, we know, we know what happened. And I went to see a um, friend of the podcast, Tim Williams, who did a reading of a Christmas Carol. and you realize that Dickens was paid by the word because it was originally a cereal for a, a paper or a periodical or something. And it was, it's like, it's just, oh my God. And as Scrooge walked through the to- this town, he was walking by the farmer's market, which had avocados, which had pickles, which had co- cucumbers, which had tomatoes, <laughs> which had apples, which had, and I was like, Jesus Christ, Tim, we get yeah. it. Oh, fucking A Chuck. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, somebody give him the shears. (laughs) Well,
0: speaking of shears and edits and adaptations, this is credited as being freely adapted by Barbara Chain. Barbara Chain doesn't have a Wikipedia page, but according to IMDb, it looks like her credits are primarily writing for animated shows, including the Mr. Magoo TV series, The New Three Stooges he-man out in the chipmunks and a, a 1986 animated series i did not know existed rambo <laughs> did you know there was an animated rambo in 86
1: no. who was the voice of rambo
0: uh, not stallone it was a you know voice guy wasn't was anyone it, famous
1: was it his brother
0: but <laughs> for frank stallone <laughs> that would be amazing It was directed by Abe Levito, L-E-V-I-T-O-W. I I assume Levito, maybe Levitao, adapted from IMDb. Abe Levitao was an important member of the Chuck Jones production unit during the latter stages of the golden age of animation. Starting at Warner Brothers in the late 30s, he was there through the late 50s. He then worked on the Mr. Magoo series in the 60s, and he also had a brief spell at MGM doing some of the Tom and Jerry cartoons when they were reviving those in the 60s. And then in January 72, he set up his own production company, Levito Hansen Films, which specialized in animated commercial projects and specials. He died at the premature age of 52 in May of 1975. Hmm. So that night, so the night of December 18th, 1962. Do you want to know what else was on TV that night?
1: Yes, please.
0: Not much.
1: Well, what what was on the other two channels? But it was, yeah. So
0: here's the deal. Remember that all of the stuff that we slash I, my generation, you know, the older than Matthew generation grew up with, so much of what they re-ran on TV was from the mid to late 60s. Particularly stuff that was in color. So... When you think of what do we grow up on, Batman 66, The Monkeys, Bewitched, I Dream of Jeannie, The Monsters and the Addams Family, all that stuff, that's all late 60s. So stuff that you find in the early 60s is like, okay, I've heard of this, I know that it exists, but it's not stuff that lived on that we digested over and over and was put on repeat on the UHF stations.
1: So the oh. '60s were a lot like the '80s, weren't they? In the fact that up until about '63 or '64, it was still kind of '50s-ish. And oh, the late oh, god, 60s, yeah. And the late '60s were, um, well, the '60s, you know,
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, like Austin Powers and that whole swinging uh, right. culture. That was not happening in 1962. No. So I'm speaking as a older Gen X person. There wasn't much here that I grew up with, but there were shows like The Untouchables, which I've heard of, but certainly I wasn't watching that as a kid. The Lloyd Bridges show, The Jack Benny show, The Jack (laughs) Benny show. I think it was on for like 12 years. I did not know it went this long. Yeah. How? (laughs) what who the fuck was still watching jack benny
1: the same joke <laughs> he's cheap we get it <laughs> yeah
0: exactly so um that's really it that's the, those are literally the only three that i looked and said i'm aware that they existed was untouchables lloyd bridges show and jack benny's show and and i'm not sure the lloyd bridges show that's not the same as was it sea hunt was that the what'd you call me No, no, no. S-E-A. Sea Hunt was the Lloyd Bridges show. I'm not sure that's the same one. And uh, frankly, I don't care. We've got other bigger and better things to talk about. Mm. Like Mr. Magoo himself. (laughs) Jay Quincy Magoo. He was created in 1949 uh, at UPA Animation Studio. His first appearance was in a 1949 cartoon called Ragtime Bear. And in this, he was more of just an angry dude. He looks a lot different. And again, UPA Animation Studio, when you watch it, and it is on YouTube, you're like, okay, yeah, this is definitely not Warner Brothers. This is not Disney. This is not what the Popeye cartoons were. That was another studio. It, It is interesting how they did have a certain look about them. And this is I'm like, I don't even know what else UPA did. UPA did other stuff like the Boing Boing show, which was a little boy who opened his mouth and only a Boing sound effect came out and he introduced other cartoons and stuff. But, um, anyway, UPA animation studio doesn't exist anymore, but their library is currently owned by universal after their acquisition of DreamWorks. So they are employed as I am by NBC universal. Um, From Wikipedia, voiced by Jim Backus, Mr. Magoo is an elderly, wealthy, short-statured retiree who gets into a series of comical situations as a result of his extreme nearsightedness, compounded by his stubborn refusal to admit the problem. However, through uncanny streaks of luck, the situation always seems to work itself out for him, leaving him no worse than before. Yeah, (laughs) Mr. Magoo. Mr. Magoo, and he would continue doing theatrical cartoons through the 50s, winning a couple of Oscars, and then moving into television and the Mr. Magoo show. There were two different versions of it, one in the early 60s, one in the mid to late 60s. I like that they added the little Broadway song at the beginning to give us an opportunity to see him being himself. And there was an attempt to do a live action version In 1997, starring Leslie Nielsen, I have not seen that. Have you seen it? No, nobody did. No, I don't think so either. And I have no interest to. And if I I can't remember on the timeline if 1997 is before or after someone told Leslie Nielsen that he was funny. So he started acting funny,
1: which made him no longer funny. Right. So, I I don't even plan to... 97 would have been after, because Police Squad was in the 80s. True. Very, very true. Yeah. But if you want a good time, look up Leslie Nielsen interviews, because um, he brought his fart machine... Oh, (laughs) did (laughs) he? ...to every interview he did, and it's just... uh, Watching the hosts react to him ripping a fart is just... (laughs) ...hysterical.
0: (laughs) So the voice of Ebenezer Scrooge we've talked about of Mr. Magoo, Jim Backus, best known for being Mr. Howell on Gilligan's Island, another show in heavy rotation in reruns in the 70s. Maury Amsterdam does a couple (laughs) of the voices from, speaking of the the Dick Van Dyke show. And uh, to my great surprise, I was not expecting in uh, the roles of Bob Cratchit and Dick Wilkins, who is Scrooge's friend at his job at Fezziwig,
1: Jack Cassidy, yeah, what an interesting role for him to play. So there's kind of another um link to the facts of life in there,
0: yeah, since Jack Cassidy spawned Ryan Cassidy uh <laughs> with his lovely wife Shirley Jones, and Ryan Cassidy was the wonderful part of Kevin Metcalf. Am I saying that? Did did, did you buy it when I said wonderful? I'm just
1: glad we remembered him.
0: (laughs) That's right. We were talking about the Partridge family. We were like, and this other brother, Ryan, I don't know, whatever he did. (laughs) It's like, um, bitches, he was on physically. He had a whole arc. He lived there. He wasn't Andy who was popping in and out of the store in season six. He fucking
1: lived there. (laughs) And now I can't even remember how they wrote him out. They didn't. He just, we just went away. He just stopped being there. <laughs> well, that's terrible.
0: Of course they did. Yeah. Um, the other two people of note are Paul
1: Freeze. Oh, the wonderful. It's a literal who's who of voice acting talent mm-hmm. from that time period. So, yes.
0: And if you don't know who Paul Freeze is, yes, you do. He is the voice of the Haunted Mansion.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: End of story. You know, every other voice he does, you think, oh, that's the Haunted Mansion guy. Um, you know, burger, meister, meister, burger. And the actual reason why we have our Facts of Life connection, the thing that justifies our doing this is, of course, the wonderful vocal performance by Jane Keen as Belle, as Ebenezer's girlfriend in his younger days. You will remember Jane Keen played Mrs. Andrews in season seven, episode five, called Men for All Seasons. She was the woman that was a little concerned about this beefcake calendar that Natalie had put together of the swim
1: team. But also the sister of Betty Keane, the woman who came to dinner and wouldn't leave. Yeah, so
0: we have a lot of vocal talent, but yes, we really, really appreciate Jane Keene's performance because she's one that allows us to be here doing this today. Matthew, I can't believe I'm about to say this. I think I have exhausted all of my nuts and bolts are you ready to start talking about it about the show about stuff you want to discuss? Yes.
1: And I will tell you I have very few notes about the whole like um actual Christmas carol. But yeah, I have things about this adaptation that that so I don't want to think the audience think we're going to sit here and dissect Charles Dickens' work for Christ's sake. No. 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 Nobody needs that. No. But I, I have, I've made myself a drink, David, just for this occasion. It's my Did favorite you? drink. I like to drink when I talk about Charles Dickens. Um, it's a lovely cider, so I'm going to have my Dickens cider uh, while we talk about this. <laughs> You're welcome.
0: <laughs> uh, that's the real reason why you wanted to do this, isn't it? You just that's wanted the to get-
1: whole reason. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Would not put it past you arter. Oh. Uh. well good night folks it's been fun. Thank um, you. So uh yeah. So yeah, let's just talk about just random stuff about it. Pick a pick I'm not going to synopsize. It if you right. don't know a Christmas carol people, uh, th- come on. Really? Yeah.
1: That's um come on. Well, first I'm going to get this deep dive out of the way cuz I'm kind of proud of it.
0: Dive deeply.
1: The very first scene it's Mr. Magoo driving through New York and he's singing about being back, back, back on Broadway. And all these theater names go by. And yes. I wanted to do a deep dive about those theaters, if I may, David. Please do. First theater mentioned: the Palace Theater. Of course, opened in 1913 with Ed Wynn in a special $2 show in 1913. <gasps> um, that was a year's salary for most Americans. Exactly. <laughs> um, um, some shows that have been at the palace. Sweet Charity, Judy Garland um reopened the palace after it was a became a movie theater for a long time. La a Fall was in the Palace Theater. They're currently lifting the Palace Theater in New York, David. Um, because it's uh, obviously all these theaters are historical landmarks, so they can't tear them down. Um but um they're lifting it like up three three stories, and there's gonna be like a I don't know, a mall or something in there. The Holy next shit. theater, the next theater mentioned is the Royale, which is now the Jacobs Theater, David. That's probably why that didn't sound familiar to you. Opened in 1927. Most popular show I could find that had been in there that anybody would recognize is Greece in 1972. Oh. Um and the most recent revival of Company, currently the home to almost famous. The Lyceum Theater, opened in 1903. I saw the play, The Play That Goes Wrong there. And if you would like to see the Lyceum Theater, you can watch Oh Hello on Netflix starring um, Nick Kroll and John Mulaney. And um, currently home to the Strange Loop Broadway musical. Oh, yes. Um, The Schubert. Goes by, open in nineteen thirteen, home to a chorus sign. Um, I saw Gypsy there with Bernadette Peters, and I saw Dolly there, Hello Dolly, with Bette Midler and Bernadette again. Um, currently home to Some Like It Hot, the musical. Um, not by Julie Stein and Bob Merrill. Not to be confused by that turd, Sugar, <laughs> um, Saint James. Theater opened in 1927, home to a lot of big shows. Anything um, goes? Um, no, not anything goes. Damn it. Okay, um, so I'll shut up. Oklahoma in 43, Mary Martin and Peter Pan, The King and I with Yule Brenner. And of course, the St. James was where Hello Dolly opened in 1964. Um, Tyne Daly's 89 version of Gypsy, currently home to Into the Woods. Um, the Urus Theater, called the Urus then, but now the Gershwin. However, when you look it up, it says it was built in 1967. Mm, that, no. That can't be right. Um, home to Sweeney Todd, a lot of revivals. Um, like MAME in 1983, the ill-fated version of MAME. Oh, um yeah that ran for about two two minutes. Um it's a, the problem with the Gershwin is it's a huge house and um you need a big theater show like wicked to really fill it. Um the court theater, now the James Earl Jones theater, opened in 1912. Literally David, not one huge hit has ever been in the <gasps> court/James slash Earl Jones theater. The biggest oh, no. hit I, the biggest hit i could find was The Diary of Anne Frank. okay in 55 however everyone
0: does love a comedy so who
1: doesn't i was in that production i played the bookcase um got me my (laughs) equity card um if you want to see the um the court theater the james earl jones theater you can watch mike Burbiglia's stand-up special on netflix the new one um they mentioned the plaza which is actually a movie house, which I thought was weird. Um <clears throat> the Belasco Theater, David, opened in 1907, home to Rocky Horror, the original production of Rocky Horror, Oh Calcutta. Um, another connection to um <clears throat> to the the show since um Bill Macy. Bill Macy was in that. Yes. That- the Hedwig revival in 2014 with um Neil Patrick Harris, I think, opened that. And because everybody did it after him, but um, and currently home to Ain't No Mo, which I didn't even know was a Broadway musical or what it's about. Oh. The Majestic opened in 1927 another connection to the facts of life because while it is currently home to phantom of the opera it is where south pacific opened in 49 Ah. and we all know we all know chloris went in for that show a little bit the music man in 57 and our own diana eden in hot spot in 1963 yay and then the whiz um the booth theater opened in nineteen thirty nine I've got one more Booth theater nineteen thirteen home to Sunday in the park with George in eighty four and currently home to Kimberly Akimbo uh, um now here's the big one. The Imperial opened in twenty three it had so many hits I couldn't even write them down um. Wow. Merman and Annie get your gun. Merman and Call Me Madam. Merman and Gypsy, the original Gypsy. Oliver, Um, and then as soon as Oliver closed, Fiddler on the Roof came in, and then as soon as Fiddler came in, Cabaret came in. Wow. Um, so whoever owned the Imperial at that time, I don't know if it was the Schuberts, but <laughs> whoever owned the Imperial at the time was rolling in cash, and um, currently home to Ain't Too Proud, David, and those. Are your that's your deep dive into the historical theaters mentioned at the beginning of Mister Magoo's Christmas Carol?
0: <laughs> Bravo, sir!
1: Bravo. It took you me know. about fifteen times watching it to get all the theaters' names down.
0: <laughs> yes,
1: and mm. we are we are literally seconds
0: into the show. Yeah. At this point, this is a very me thing that you've just done. I love that so much.
1: And also, as soon as those go by, there's um, a scrapbook of cuttings. And one of the cuttings is it's so deliciously 1960s variety. It says Magoo Bafo in Prem 225G Socceroo Advance. (laughs) Oh, my God. In Premiere Magoo Bafo in premiere, 225,000 grams, Sockaroo advance. Sockaroo.
0: What a great word. <laughs> I need to bring that up. Bring, bring that back. Bafo. <laughs> yeah, Bafo at the B.O.
1: And it also, there was an article that said, net to beam Carol via tells. I don't know what that, like the net to beam. Like, I it was like some, it was like what the, the translation is "net to beam Carol via tells," meaning that, like a satellite was going to send the Christmas Carol to television. Like, oh, it was, oh! But like "net to beam Carol via tells," I was net, like,
0: n- "net networks like television, networks, yeah. like a television network to beam," because it. Can, so it's yeah. basically them saying that this play is such a big fucking deal, it's going to be televised.
1: Yeah. So okay, you 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 translated that on your own. I mean, it just seemed. It just seemed kind of like now that would not mean the same thing. You know what no. I mean? Yeah. So. No, and that's a whole different thing. Yeah. But Truly. Anyway,
0: well, I did a deep dive myself, Matthew. Okay. Oh, so if you'll allow me for the next forty-five minutes, <laughs> to talk about
1: <laughs> snuff. Oh my God! <laughs> did you deep dive God. on it too? No, because I didn't want to type snuff into my Google search. (laughs) When
0: Ebenezer goes to the future, when the ghost of Christmas yet to come brings Ebenezer to the future, the first thing that we see pretty much across the board in all adaptations is we overhear three gentlemen out talking. Oftentimes it's the ones who are looking for the charity in the first scene are among yeah. them and it's three of them talking about this miserable old miser who has just died and doesn't have a friend and what's going to happen to what he owns and wasn't he a shitty person and aren't we glad he's dead and and Scrooge is like oh well i wonder who they would be talking about and so what happens is one of them they decided a character thing was he's going to take out a little snuff box and hold a little thing under his nose and and then sneeze and yeah. that's what you always see whenever you see like Benny Hill used to do jokes about snuff and I'm like what the I know that that's snuff I grew up watching
1: cartoons
0: it's like what the fuck is that do you know what it is
1: Matthew no because I didn't want to type snuff into my <laughs> search well I'm the one they're coming for I know what snuff porn is Yeah, and I didn't want that showing up because you know how you get ads for stuff that you Google in your Facebook. So um, I didn't want anything to do with that. (laughs) No, I'm
0: I'm worried what's going to be coming up on on my feed now. But
1: Uh, I did a search for baby clothes one time, and you know how you get like like Wish ads on your Facebook page. Yeah, it was like it was ads for like adult baby costumes, like shit like that, and I was like, oh fuck. (laughs) Mm. Well, snuff
0: is tobacco. It's a type of tobacco. I didn't even know that. I'm like, what the fuck is it? According to the internet, it's a type of smokeless tobacco that is made of finely ground or shredded tobacco leaves. It may have different scents and flavors and may be moist or dry. Moist snuff tobacco is placed in the mouth usually between the cheek and gum or behind the upper and lower lip. It's like, oh, that's that's pinching, right? Is that the term? Mm,
1: yeah.
0: Isn't it? Or chewing? Chaw. Chaw. Yeah. Anyhow, that I'm familiar with. I'm familiar with the idea of chewing tobacco. But dry snuff tobacco is inhaled through the nose. So, I mean, that, that answers the question, but I have many more questions now with... So instead of smoking, instead of pinching, it's like, you know what? It's probably perfectly healthy to take and just sniff this stuff directly up into my sinus cavity. And people
1: that snort aspirin, you know, like we'll break up an aspirin and snort it. Yeah.
0: Um, What else do we want to talk about? What else do we talk about in the show? Want to talk about Um, the
1: adaptation? Yeah, I found throughout the show, tell me if you found this. Mr. Magoo, Jim Backus, He's almost being like Robin Williams-ish in Popeye or King Tut, um, Victor Buono as King Tut. Like his characterization, the Mr. Magoo characterization, he's kind of got like a lot of under, under his breath kind of thing. Yeah. And I kind of enjoyed that. And I wish like, I was thinking like, well, I kind of wish like Robin Williams had done like a, a Mr. Magoo or something like that. But, you know, he's dead.
0: yeah so that that very likely is not going to be happening you know who said he modeled his Ebenezer Scrooge after Mr. Magoo Michael Caine Kelsey Grammer the tv movie adaptation of the musical version that they did on Broadway for like 12 years uh throughout the 90s uh they made a tv movie out of it with Kelsey Grammer and uh, it's the, the production is, eh, it's fine. It's fine. But <laughs> the score is by Alan Menken and Lynn Ahrens. So mm-hmm. to me, the songs are exquisite. They are beautiful. Cause if anyone knows how to write a hook, it's that Alan Menken, that kid's going yeah. places, you know? Yeah. He's so. Good. But also speaking about adaptation is, uh, the. it's interesting how it says it's freely adapted from the Charles Dickens. I, I don't find it freely adapted at all. I find there are so many consistent things that I've heard in so many other yeah. versions of it. Things like when he says, uh, you know, are there no prisons? Are there no workhouses? Any man who utters Merry Christmas should be boiled in his own pudding and have a holly steak driven through his heart. Yeah. And they and, should and die
1: and decrease the surplus population.
0: Thing exactly. So I assume I've never read the Dickens original, but I assume those are his original words, including including one of my favorite jokes ever is Mister Scrooge. It's charity time, and we're here looking for donations. What shall we put you down for? And he says nothing. And the man responds with, "You wish to remain anonymous?"
1: <laughs> I think that's just funny. Yeah. There's another, there's another good joke where he says, "I'm the ghost of Christmas past, long past. No, your past." Okay,
0: <laughs> nice. And when Marley says, "Tonight you will be visited by three ghosts," he says something like, "Oh, well, I would rather not.
1: I'd rather not." <laughs> it's, just, I mean, these. It's like you know,
0: you go Dickens. You know, you think of it as being this you know, high, heavy time of, you know, when there were urchins in the street and plague ravaging the population. But um, but one adaptational choice that was made was to eliminate the character of the nephew of Fred. Yes. And with eliminating Fred, that conveniently gives you the ability to make, make Scrooge an only child and not have a sister. Because remember, the story is He had the sister, and one of the few moments of tenderness in his life that he sees in his past is when he's alone at school, like this Magoo. But his sister comes and visits and says, "You know, come home, Father." I think she says, "Father, stop drinking," and he's he's a kinder man now, and things like that. So it's it was one of the happiest Christmases he ever had. But uh, with this, we get Scrooge as a child, literally just alone and singing a song about being alone and pathetic and wow
1: that song david Mm -hmm. oh god what a lovely lovely song can you sing it for me
0: now i i cannot remember what it is
1: oh my god when you're alone alone in the world when you're alone in the world oh yeah And words like, um, where are two, where is the hand, where's the voice to answer mine back? Where are two shoes that click to my clack? Oh, (laughs) so many grains of sand in the world. Why such a lonely beach? Oh, my God. Rip my heart out and show it to me. Mm. Oh, the story of my childhood, David. Oh, no. And then
0: Older Magoo sings
1: in harmony. Sings with him. With him. God, rip my heart out, Julie Stein. Mm -hmm. Mm.
0: So so with that, we get the economy of him being an only child and he's alone and it's like okay Ebenezer you've seen how sad you were as a child let's go on to this other memory now and uh yeah there's that another interesting artistic liberty this took that i'm not aware of any other adaptation doing they move the ghost of christmas present to be the first of the three ghosts typically yeah. and in the original it's always chronological past Present and future in that order. And uh I I did not mind. I was not mad at that at all.
1: No, it doesn't affect the story at all, I mm-hmm. didn't think. Yeah. <clears throat> There's the dirty, dirty line in there, David. Is there? And I have to wonder when they go to Fezziwigs <clears throat> and he sees his friend Dick. <laughs> yes. The writers. And I know what they were trying to do. I know what they were trying to say. But I just have to think, some of them were like, this is going to be on national TV. <laughs> <laughs> he's talking about his friend Dick, which today you would never name anybody in an animated movie Dick. <laughs> he just mm, Nope. But he says, Mr. Magoo says, he's like, oh, Dick was my best friend. He was always attached to me, Dick. <laughs> I missed that. <laughs> always he was, attached to me, Dick, was he? Well, it was like he was always attached to me, that dick. Yes. You know, but like <laughs> yes. he, he he was attached to me, Dick. <laughs> oh, I, I I heard that and I went, oh, you dirty old bastard. <laughs> mm.
0: But th- that's the thing is that there's not I didn't perceive there were a lot of liberties taken other than just editing and compacting the story into a, a one hour special. Or in this case, you know, like you said, it's 50, 52 minutes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because I did a long running Christmas special here in Orlando. Um with Michael Wansey, we did a Christmas Carol, a star studded Christmas Carol, where we had me and other local celebrities who impersonate celebrities mm-hmm. playing celebrities in it. And I was Carol Channing as Scrooge. Oh my God. And um, we had Doug Bowser, the late Doug Bowser, as uh, Marley Matlin as Bob Cratchit. Oh my God, no. And he also played Rip Taylor as the ghost of Jacob Marley. And um, Miss Sammy played the ghost of Christmas past was Cher. And she <laughs> came out and sang If I Could Turn Back Time. As of and, course you know, she did. The big musical number was the ghost of Christmas present was Lucille Ball. And she sang It's Today from MAME. Mm-hmm. And then the ghost of Christmas future was Barbara Streisand. And she's saying, something's coming. Oh, this is um, very clever. It was very clever. But one of the choices we had to make just to edit it down was to get rid of Fred, who we was going to have played by Elvis Presley, was going to play his nephew Fred. And we had to cut the character out as well, that that whole storyline. So it's a pretty easy thing to cut out of a Christmas carol.
0: And so funny because when I did A Christmas Carol at the Garden Theater in Winter Garden, Florida, I played the role of Fred. And I really felt like he was the most important character in the whole show.
1: Oh, sure. Yeah. To you, he was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's why they had your name above the title, right?
0: <laughs> well, my agent didn't want it to get lost in the middle. So they put my name yeah. at the bottom with a box around little it. Box. Yeah. And. David Almeida as Fred, the nephew, the most important role in the show, is what it said on the marquee. Yeah. Yeah. One cute little inside joke I did appreciate when Scrooge first comes home and the Marley face appears in the knocker on the door. Uh, He looks and sees it and then kind of wipes it like, is it dirty or something? And then the face goes away. And as he walks inside... Mr Magoo says, "Hmm, could I need spectacles?" <laughs> I'm like, "Okay, that was funny. That was that was the right tone
1: of an inside joke." Another one with his eyesight was at the end when he gets dressed and he's walking out on Christmas day and he stops in front of a painting of like his great-great uncle magoo yeah or whatever and he's looking at himself he's like he can't go out like this people laugh at me and then <laughs> he, he comes back out and instead of looking in the mirror looks at a bust of himself and then he's like oh there never looked better and i thought that was adorable as well yes yeah those those were appropriate
0: without imposing Um, something on it. You know, you were talking about the star-studded this Christmas Carol that they did at the Parliament House Mm -hmm. that you were in. All it makes me think of is the rich little Christmas Carol. It's a favorite.
1: I watch it at least once a year too. It is so awful. It's terrible. It is so bloody awful. (laughs) And
0: I have to watch it every year. It's one of my all-time favorites. It's so
1: ridiculous. It's almost as bad as Red Skelton's Freddy the Freeloader Christmas special. Oh, that one I've not seen. Oh, David. Oh, it is painful. Oh, I have to find that one then. Okay. Imogene Coca is in it. Well, of course. Why wouldn't she be? <laughs> 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 oh, it is painful. A very old um, Red Skelton and his comedy is so behind and so what year sad. was his special what year was this it was like 83 or 84 oh, around oh, the God. Year, around the same time as rich little's christmas special but it oh, was red so, skeleton
0: in the 80s that's uh, oh that wow was
1: when he had moved into his painting of clowns phase and it oh. was like uh freddie the freeloader became this sad old clown <laughs> You have to watch it, though. It's
0: I, awful. Okay, it's I, I will. Awful. I totally will. Uh, you know, our our close personal friend, Ken Reed, has thoughts and opinions about Rich Little, where he's like, am I crazy? Is it me? They're all the same voice.
1: They're all like, the same voice.
0: There's a couple he does better than others. Like his Paul Lind is pretty good. His Truman Capote is lovely. But he's all the rest. Ken Ken says it, and he's right. He's like, they're all Richard Nixon they all sound like when he comes in as uh, uh, to the Bob Cratchit Bob Cratchit is Paul Lind and Mrs. Cratchit is Edith Bunker Yeah, and you know Edith Bunker is a, a woman's voice so oh, oh, he's just talking like this and shaking his head thinking that this is an impression of Edith Bunker and it's like no that's Rich Little in a Woolworth wig shaking his head and talking in his Rich Little voice uh-
1: <laughs> His his impressions to me were, like, you say, oh, he did a good Paul Lind. Who doesn't? Yeah. Everyone Every, does a Paul everyone Lind. Everyone can do a good Paul Lind. Yeah. Um. But it's just like, oh, my God. Yeah, it's an hour of him just fucking the same voice. Yeah. And, He's no better at impressions than like anybody's uncle is. You know what I mean? Anyway, yeah. level.
0: Well, I love guy. it because well, well no, because as a as a you know, as an actor and as a person who likes doing voices, I always you? what you well, it's been known to happen. Oh <laughs> um, so but the um I was obsessed with that because any anybody who did voices and impressions I was always into so uh you know watching the rich little one when I was a teenager I was really into it but now you look back and you're like ooh this is just not good but um uh what else what else do we want to talk about
1: um my favorite scene in the whole movie and I ha- I have a couple but my favorite song my favorite scene is the villains that cleaned him out after he died. The wow. Song, just blankety blank, blank blank. No good.
0: The mm. song called We're Despicable.
1: We're despicable.
0: <laughs> it's so what cute. in the actual fuck, Matthew? What is that? It's... I have written down that that's the point in the show where I'm like, what what just happened here? So for those who didn't actually watch it, when we go to Christmas Future, we see the three men, the dude does the snuff. And then we see these three, these four plunderers going into a pawn shop, I guess, because they yeah. had just gone to Scrooge's house and cleaned him out after learning that he had died. So Scrooge is watching them sell the, the these unscrupulous, unwashed goons selling his stuff. And then- who said and then we need to stop the action of this classic story cold for the four of them to sing a villain song first of all why do three of them have green skin what the fuck is this is this one of them looks like wanda the witch is this halloween what is that scene
1: how dare you first of all (laughs) um i don't know why you're against people being green um (laughs) I think there are other layers to that, that query, David, Um, Uh but okay. I think a very creative director was watching this and reading this and said, we've got to have a comedy song in this. We've got to have something that it we've, I mean, every song is, we'll have the world's best Christmas as long as we're together. And even ringle, ringle, horns when they jingle. it's That's like an I Want song. It's at the very beginning. But they needed something to have a comedy song. They had to figure out a way to get a comedy song in here. And I think it's the perfect place to do it. Muppets I just wish did it with, um, it's in the gleaming of a wolf of a choir. It's going home and getting warm by the fire. That's a great little upbeat, fun song in the middle mm-hmm. of a Christmas goddamn carol. But, but
0: that song is the ghost of Christmas present singing about the spirit of Christmas, yeah,
1: yeah. But it's not fun. the lyrics,
0: the lyrics to this are literally. We, it, okay, I just pulled up the lyrics because I couldn't understand a goddamn thing. I was too busy picking my jaw up off the floor. Go ahead. We're despicable. We yeah. make ourselves plain sickable. We yeah. rate ourselves, hate ourselves viciously. Still, none of us wishes he would change.
1: Yeah.
0: We're sick and shifty birds with fingers quick as 50 birds. While stealing your purse or your ticky talk, just for a kick, we knock you flat.
1: We knock. You flat na 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 na. Mm. Yeah. Satan shave, mm. shave and a haircut
0: two bits, <laughs> and then the orchestra hit that um bam um bam boom. It's like the full orchestra at forty. it's like it is it is orchestrated better and bigger than anything else. It it just feels so out of place.
1: It was co- and it was animated beautifully because the choreography was. Rem- It was the, it was a, hmm. the tone of the scene was very theatrical, how they all faced front and, and bent at the knees together. It was in the, the, in the, in the spirit of they're on a stage. Like a musical. Like a musical. And and then in the, I will say in the unnecessary second verse that, that, that was a place they could have Uh, saved
0: time. Yeah. We're not tea party blokes. No chitty chat or arty chokes. We're yeah. twice as bloodthirsty as cannibules and wilder than animals are we. We're reprehensible. We'll steal your pen and pensable. Wow.
1: That is some Sondheim level lyric right there. <laughs> I'm sorry. Those are some good words.
0: And Go sneer out. at you, leer at you, naughtily. And really, we ought to be in jail la 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 we're just blankety blank blank all bad yeah what the, here's my thing what i didn't like about it was that it was so static that it's them just standing there and, and granted maybe we need to just cut that second verse that would have certainly helped
1: but, but in the second verse in the animation somebody in the animation room said let's have that queen in the back throw flowers yeah <laughs> What? He just sprinkles flowers over him. And I was like, what the fuck is that? Because they use the
0: same cells. It was just the, this repetition uh. of the visuals. And, you know, the, one of the running jokes was the little one getting his hat, not being able to get his hat off over his head and stuff. But to me, I'm like, to just stop the the action dead, to give this much screen time to these characters... Who have just entered the story and will then immediately exit the story? Uh, I'm I I have problems signing off on that, Matthew. I'm I glad you it. love it as much as you do. I really I loved am. It. It's not so as le- bad as Rich Little's Christmas Carol, good, but uh,
1: yeah. they needed some some levity in this very heavy story. They needed I, some levity, and they found it. I think okay. I I'll give them that. Just they, because you think it's blankety, blank, blank, no good. Nah.
0: Yeah. I would have liked a montage of them being thieves and show them stealing things. I would have liked that, but that would have meant they would have had to draw more than two images.
1: Yeah. Um, got got kind of money you think they were rolling in.
0: <laughs> Let's talk about that. Let's take a moment. Quality of animation. This was very, how shall I say? 1962 television. Yeah. It was when they were trying to crank out stuff cheap and fast. Uh, There is not a shadow anywhere in any color. There is, I think, a couple of scenes at night. We get a little bit of a blue tint, but there is no aesthetic art direction type of approach taken to anything. The only thing I will credit them for is that they do color code the ghosts. So Marley is blue, Ghost of Christmas Present is pink, Christmas Past is yellow, and Ghost of Christmas Future is brown. I did appreciate that. That was like, oh my God, did some thought go into this? But when you look at it and see that Scrooge's nightcap, his his hat, it's bright pink. It's like the whole aesthetic of this is still bright cartoons for kids. Yeah. You know, and, and Scrooge isn't just a ginger. He's a Lucy ginger. As far <laughs> as the shade of orange, they made the younger version's hair. And, uh, you know, this was kind of in the time of like, you know, we think Bullwinkle and Rocky, those cartoons where they drew two pictures yeah, and then animated the mouths.
1: And it's like, they I, I don't, that's gotta be an animation style. Like when he's flying over London and all the houses are just, outline drawings with a background color. You know what I mean? Like, that's gotta be, I don't want to say it's like psychedelic, but it's like, it's, yeah, it's very.
0: It was, yeah, it was the aesthetic, the fifties into the sixties, this somewhat abstract backgrounds, somewhat more indicated. And then these crisp and clear and, you know, uniform colored uh, tones of the actual things that move. Nowadays, more and more, they try to sort of <laughs> integrate those things better, unless they're doing that as a specific choice. I mean, there's one point at the beginning, the back on Broadway, after the signs go by, it just goes to these shapes that have flashing lights. And yeah, I'm like, is is that supposed to be like the lights of Broadway? But the background is is light beige. Why is it not dark with the lights illuminating? It's, you know, but clearly it had to have been a, well, these type of backgrounds, we can draw quick and fast and cheap
1: and and we're good to go. The one, um, I'll say blooper that stood out for me was um, when at the end, when he's wearing his night shirt and he falls out his own window and he's held up by his feet. Yeah. And I will credit my friend, Aaron, who watched it with me. Um, she said... What kind of starch is in that nightshirt? <laughs> He's hanging, hanging upside down, and his nightshirt is not exposing his little naked magoo bottom.
0: <laughs> I didn't even think about that.
1: I didn't either. Aaron pointed it out.
0: Other just random things I'm finding in my notes as we're sort of wrapping this up. Didn't Bob Cratchit look a lot like George Jetson? Oh yeah. What is the okay. deal with that? Because the Jetsons was a Hanna-Barbera thing. And, um, oh, I forgot to look this up. Wait a minute. <gasps> Matthew. What? The Jetsons premiered on September 23rd of 1962. The Jetsons had only been on TV for like four months. Oh, my. So they are probably in production around the same time. Why did I not know the Jetsons were that old? 62? I would have thought after, because I thought the Flintstones were 62 and the Jetsons. Weren't the Jetsons supposed to be the, yeah. the, the future answer
1: to the Flintstones? Well, now we're going to. And wait a minute, because haven't weren't people saying like George Jetson is being born? Okay, never mind. That has nothing to do with when the show aired. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, the Flintstones premiered in 60. That's what it is. So the okay. Flintstones was 60, Jetsons was 62. I thought it was later than that. I did too. Hmm. So just an interesting thing that I was like, oh, George Jetson.
1: <laughs> Jane, stop this crazy thing. Well, and it's funny you mentioned um, little boy Boing Boing or whatever, because there are people that believe that Tiny Tim in this is the Boing Boing character. Oh, oh, interesting. Uh, what was his name? I didn't look it up to see how much they looked alike. Gerald, Gerald McBoing Boing. I want to see what he looks like. Yeah, so they were say he does look like him. So they were kind of saying like it was like kind of like a UPA star in the show as well with Gerald McBoing Boing as Tiny Tim. He does a little bit look like him. I mean, he's the only blonde Cratchit. (laughs) Yeah. Again, we didn't need the second verse of that song either no sitting around the table that yeah. whole like um what is it we can't afford a christmas tree we shan't this year i know oh my god yeah and and <laughs> they were looking to save time okay yeah could we have a christmas tree
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah
0: <laughs> it's like shut up cratchits
1: But then the hook, but then the hook comes in. We'll have the world's best Christmas as long as we're together. Come on. Yeah. Come Mm -hmm. through, Julie Stein.
0: Yep. So, uh, yeah, that song is called The Lord's Bright Blessing, by the way. (laughs) Um, Speaking of songs we haven't really talked about, our reason for being here. Jane Keen's interpretation of the ballad, Winter Was Warm.
1: Which she says as she uses a snow globe with snow in it.
0: Yeah. But 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 then we do get a, the montage of the seasons and images. At least it's not her just standing there singing like that fucking villain song. But how much Judy Garland was she channeling? Oh in this with the winter was warm. you do that, it way
1: better than i do but that great alto though man
0: yeah rich threatened. beautiful mm. uh again it's it's a very <clears throat> croony type of voice very uh you know a little more old school like 1940s or 50s certainly yeah. you know a pre-rock and roll era singer that she was um, but no beautiful lovely voice and that breakup song that's always so many adaptations put a song there because yeah. yeah the Muppet the Muppet one cut it didn't they didn't they like release it and then to cut it and then they restore did. it. Yeah, they put it back I think. Yeah. So I love the Muppet one.
1: The ending made my heart happy because mm-hmm. it was just Jim Backus being vaudevillian. I brought down the house yes. the set collapses and he's bowing with his back to the audience and everything It just I don't know it was just mm-hmm. make my heart but the end of that show all I could think of was that poor goddamn music producer I just. <laughs> <you. laughs> had to get something out of Jim Packus. And what I read was that they wanted to use Bob Goulet as Mr. Magoo's singing voice. <gasps> and I'm, but I'm so glad they didn't because that would have, how that would have been jarring. I mean,
0: <laughs> yeah, that would have been. um, so the last thing I want to talk about before uh, we, we move on here to the, the final segment that I have planned here sure. is I want to talk about how do you feel about the journey of Ebenezer Scrooge? Having not read the original, having seen only many, many adaptations of it, does it seem to you, as it does to me, that Scrooge is surprised to learn that he's going to die At the end, and that's why he has a change of heart. Like, wait, what? I'm going to die? I guess I better stop being a dick. Holy shit. No one told me this. Stacy! I
1: I don't know that he was surprised he was going to die. But I think any of us, if we were sat in front of our headstone and faced with that mortality, would it would kind of become more jarring to you that like, oh, oh, yep. Uh, Oh, this is, this is what's going to be, I guess, you know, like that would, I think that more so than him going, I'm going (laughs) to (laughs) die.
0: Now I forget which adaptation it is where instead of him going to the Cratchit house and having them say, Oh, isn't it too bad? Tiny Tim is dead. I've seen, I forget who did it this way, but where he's at the, Graveyard, and he sees Bob Cratchit come and put flowers on Tiny Tim's grave, and yes. and and Ebenezer thinks, "Oh, that's why you brought me here. It's because the boy dies." And then it's, "Oh, well, but but uh, you know, I'm changed. These are not the shadows of what will be. They're what what may be. I'm a different man now, and and I can help him. That's why you brought me here, right?" And then he points at to the tombstone, and uh, you know, to me, the realization is. Oh shit! I I can't save the boy because I might already be dead if I don't change my ways. I think the challenge of adapting and the challenge of playing the part of Ebenezer Scrooge, which I am not yet old enough to do. Well, technically I am old enough to do, but I don't look old enough to do. That's a few. That's a couple of hours away at this rate. I'm aging as well as a beach party movie. It's only December first. <laughs> But the challenge is, how do you make it a slow boil? How do you find those glimmers and those moments? Things like when they're playing the game at the nephew's house and Scrooge is shouting things out because he is like, oh, this is this is fun. We're having fun. And I mean, the heartbreak, both the Kelsey Grammar version and the Muppet version, the breakup song. And in both cases, Ebenezer comes in and sings along with the two young lovers. And I, I'm not gonna keep talking about it because I'm gonna start crying. Cause those are deeply touching moments. And 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 Michael Kane, goddamn, in the Muppets one, yeah. he is so good. So good. <laughs> yeah. And, and isn't afraid to go there. At that point, he's already weeping when he sees, I think they call her Emily in that movie. I don't know why they didn't call her Belle. But, um, yeah, just any more thoughts on the
1: journey of Scrooge and the story? Well, you find those little glimmers, David, in um, Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol. (laughs) Do you? Because as you you remember, as you remember, Mr. Scrooge goes up behind little Scrooge and harmonizes with him. So he's realizing he's all alone in the world, too. Still, he's still all alone in the world, David. Mm -hmm. And then you see him talking about how his dick was attached to him. (laughs) So you find those little glimmers of happiness. Without the dick attached to you, you're just not as happy. See?
0: That's what I've always found. So with that, I don't know how we can end this without talking about some of the other adaptations that are out there. We've already touched on uh, some of them along the way here. And uh, I love love adaptation in general. I'm always fascinated. Even a shitty update of a movie, I'm interested usually to see it because I want to see what they changed, how they changed, and trying to figure out why. How they ruined it. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So last year, to my great delight... Sean Sullivan, who is a Boston-based stand-up comic and friend of Ken Reed's mm. from my hometown of Brockton, Massachusetts, he did a podcast called 25 Days of a Christmas Carol. Yes. Where for 25 days in a row, he dropped a podcast analyzing an adaptation of a different version of the of the show. And it's really, really fascinating. And for that reason, it made me seek out and watch some of the other ones that I hadn't seen ever or hadn't seen in a while. Like like example, An American Christmas Carol, the one that Henry Winkler did, where they set it in sort of like a, kind of like a Little House on the Prairie time, like 1800s. Yeah. But uh, Henry Winkler in a great performance back when he was playing Fonzie, they aged him and it was really quite good. Yeah. Um, but what are some of the adaptations of A Christmas Carol that you like matthew
1: in addition to what we've already spoken thank you for asking um i don't know why it i'm five years old watching hbo for the first christmas so the rich little christmas carol which played on hbo Mm -hmm. there's a certain amount of happiness that it brings me i agree it's awful it's awful awful (laughs) But I'm watching it, and I'm five. You yep. know, so. S- same here.
0: Well, I'm I'm not five, but anyhow, Rich Little's Christmas Carol. That was 1978, by the way.
1: Oh my God! I will know that I wasn't five.
0: I was going to say you weren't five. You were, uh, you were barely a, a glimmer in the apple of your father's eyes. How dare you? Um, uh, your turn. My turn. Uh, I really like Scrooged, the Bill Murray one from
1: 1988. Yeah, that was the next one I was going to say, even though uh, I didn't want to give Bill Murray time. Oh. Because, I mean, time's up, Bill Murray. Oh. If I anybody think... else acted like him, they'd be like, who's this crazy old man? But because it's <laughs> Bill Murray, it's charming and sweet. No.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Did you have another one, even though I stole yours?
1: No. Um. Let me think. Let me think. Um. One that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. Can I can I throw one out and ask you? Yes, yes, yes. Do you like Scrooge, the 1970 Albert Finney musical? No, and let me tell you why. Mm-hmm. It is around the time when Hollywood musicals, everybody looks dirty, everybody looks like they need to wash their hair, everybody, even though, oh, it's 1880, I have cat I makeup on <laughs> <laughs> yes like, funny girl hello dolly all of them we're yeah. taking place in the 20s but i've got a beehive okay yeah. it's th- like fiddler on the roof man of la mancha mame all those that kind of time period of musicals where i'm like everyone needs a bath yeah ugh. i so, agree so no i did i didn't enjoy Scrooge because i'm like ugh, it looks dirty yeah. Scro- Scrooge.
0: Scrooge oh, yeah. was Bill Murray. This is called Scrooge.
1: Exclamation point. I believe. Exclamation
0: point. Yeah. And this is the score by Leslie Bricus and Anthony Newley, the ones who would uh, go on to write Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. And had previously done a couple of Broadway shows. But uh, I think I like that. I don't love it. I like the score of the Kelsey Grammer version adaptation better. I Again, Mencken and Aaron's. I love them. So I like that score better than I like this one. But this one, Albert Finney, man, he is 32 years old and an amazing performance. And also Alec Guinness as as Marley. He's he's in a completely different movie as as she comes swooping, sashaying her way into the thing. It's it's kind of awesome. Watching Alec Guinness, having so much fun with this, this campy performance. Um, let me see. We mentioned the Muppet Christmas Carol. That was 1992, music and lyrics by the wonderful Paul Williams. Paul Williams married to our, our friend Carol Lee for many years, right? Her
1: musical oh, director. He was my favorite husband at the time. <laughs> Mickey's Christmas Carol is pretty good. It's not terrible. Yeah,
0: it's fine. It's okay.
1: Nothing <laughs> you get a chance to see Scrooge McDuck.
0: Yeah, very true. And you know, Mickey as Bob Cratchit is is lovely. The sort of original OG classic version is still the Alistair Sims one, which I mm-hmm. think was an English production, and that's mm-hmm. like from I think the 30s, late 30s, or early 40s. Yeah, that was my grandma's favorite. Yeah, there's also a notable one. That I was very surprised by. And I watched after Sean Sullivan's discussion of it. The 84 TV movie with George C. Scott. Yeah, I was gonna mention that one too. George As Scrooge. Scott. He I I think he might be the best Scrooge of them all. He is astoundingly good. And again, this is a this is TV movie budget. The rest of it is perfectly fine, very traditional, n- no real big. Um I don't believe any big adaptational, crazy things done with it, but it's, it is definitely memorable. And I think it's on YouTube for free. Did you watch the most recent spirited the 2022 musical with Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds on Apple TV plus? I don't have Apple TV plus. Oh, it's a modernization, heavily adapted version of it, but it's got a score by Pasek and Paul the ones who wrote Dear Evan Hansen, Ugh. La La Land, and Greatest Showman. Eh, the songs are interesting. There's a lot of interesting stuff in it. And I'm sorry, Will Farrow and Ryan Reynolds, they're just both so appealing. So I enjoyed it. Some people aren't thrilled with it. I thought it was fine. And there's also a lesser known independent film that was released this year, Matthew, called The Christmas Karen, starring... Friend of the podcast, Michelle Sims, as well as Megan Colleen Maroney and Ali Flores. Three of my podcast guests are in this film where it's literally a a Christmas carol, but the Ebenezer Scrooge is a bitchy middle aged blonde woman who is a Karen, a stereotypical Karen. And that's who Michelle plays in it. I need to rent that. That one's not available anywhere for free. I need to pay for that because I do want to see. see them do it but uh it looks like it's a a lot of fun so before we wrap this up i do want to mention of course my least favorite versions of it and i don't have a long list honestly i think most of them are fine and have something to offer but i did not enjoy the 2009 jim carrey robert zemeckis creepy ass cgi polar express oh i never saw it version oh it's again the 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 faces the people look like creepy ass robots it's terrible i don't like polar express either i realize uh, age-wise people younger than me it's a classic and that i'm blaspheming by saying i don't like it but i feel like it's one
1: of those where people told us it's supposed to be a classic maybe Like Cirque du Soleil, people are supposed are trained to think they're supposed to walk out of Cirque du Soleil and say that was amazing, (laughs) while they think to themselves, "I have no idea what the fuck I just watched." (laughs) Anything else of note? Well, you're missing the best one of (gasps) all time. Oh God, did I miss one? What did I miss? Yeah, starring the wonderful Susan Lucci, Abby. (laughs) What is that? Oh, God. Ebby, 1995. <laughs> In an updated retelling of a Dickens Christmas Carol, ruthless businesswoman and shopping store owner Elizabeth Ebby Scrooge. It's taught that true spirit of Christmas by three spirits who visit her. The IMDb rating is 6.5. <laughs> I feel like this was a lifetime movie. I feel I, like. Yeah, something tells me it was. Yeah. <laughs>
0: wow. Woo! Well, this is, I think that this might
1: end up being a supersize. I am sorry. I didn't think I was going to talk this long about it.
0: I am so happy to do one that we love, that you love as much as you do. And uh, this was, this was delightful. If you haven't seen it or if you haven't seen it in a while, Tutti fruities, come on. You got to add this to your holiday watch list. <laughs> And uh, I don't need to because I watched it three times already for the podcast. So I, I'm I'm kind of full, kind of full up. <laughs> just just gotta say it. Don't need to hear that that villain song anymore.
1: <laughs>
0: so other than that, uh, that's it. that That seems to be we're at the end of the line. This is where we wish you all. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. We we of course have to rate the show. Five talkaholic chips. Five out of five. Five. Five talkaholic chips. I'm debating whether I should cut it down to four and a half for the second verses of the songs, but hmm, I want to give it some demerit. I don't want you to think that I think this is perfect by giving it five stars, and yet four and a half seems like too little because I did enjoy. Let's say four and three quarter stars. That is fair. That like is Ed fair. McMahon on Star Search. Four <laughs> and three quarter stars.
1: What the fuck was that? Quarter stars? <laughs>
0: Fucking star
1: surge.
0: Uh, well, with that, Tutti Frutti's, we thank you again so much for supporting the show, and we wish you a, a happy holiday season, as well as a peaceful, healthy, and prosperous new year as we look ahead to 2023.
1: Merry Christmas, David.
0: What? are you? Are you telling me I should have myself a merry little
1: Christmas, Matthew? Oh, David, David, I couldn't possibly. Well, okay. Have you a Merry Little Christmas. Let your heart be light. From now on, our troubles will be out of sight. Mm happy christmas david happy christmas matthew <laughs> to be back 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 on runway <laughs> no. oh so
0: uh no more about gel code when the force don't you call in them
1: more importantly